0: Again, these words from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. The gospel has a very, very special power that resides within it. In Romans 1.18, we, we see where it says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is that which saves you and me. And so that's what we're going to be talking about because this day, this week, in the life of the Lord Jesus, was Him going about the gospel in its purest form. And over these past few days, it's been my earnest desire to ponder the events of each day of this past week, this special week in the earthly life of the Lord Jesus. What took place in this week of his life? Now to say that his week began much earlier than last Sunday would be the ultimate understatement because we know from many of the other scriptures that the things that took place during this week really were worked out long before Jesus came to us as a little baby in the manger. All these events were part of a master plan, carefully orchestrated within the Trinity by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three of them agreeing both to every wretched misery that Jesus would endure and also to every wonderful accomplishment that would take place. And it was that masterful thing that only God is able to do. That of him making all of the plans and guiding men's steps while at the same time allowing men their wretched free will entanglements. Men thinking that they were in charge of their actions, in charge of everything in their lives, and to some extent being so, but only and also at the guiding hand and the deciding hand of God. I've spoken on other occasions about a Christian song that we sang often some years ago. The song uh, pictures God as being a great director of the master symphony of mankind that's being played out daily on the earth. And I like that allegory. It helps me to better understand each of our roles. God's role, my role, and all the other people's roles around me. And if we look carefully at the cast of characters that we see here in this gospel story, we see that God chose the characters well. And each did exactly as they were supposed to do. The disciples, especially Judas, the chief priests, Pilate, the soldiers, and then on and on. Now, I'd like to begin our thoughts today with Saturday a week ago, last Saturday. Jesus spent that evening with his disciples. They were with friends at Bethany where they ate a meal. And it was there at that meal that Mary gave one of the most precious examples of worship that's ever given uh, as she anointed Jesus' feet with a perfume and then she dried his feet with her hair. A precious show of worship. The next day, the first day of the week, on a Sunday, Jesus and his disciples came into Jerusalem. And Jesus was riding, you'll recall, on the donkey's coat with the people spreading their garments and the palm branches out in front of him. And they were crying, Hosanna in the highest! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. On that day, the people received Jesus with such great excitement. On the next day, the second day, Jesus returned to Jerusalem and there he entered into the temple. And you'll recall that he drove out the money changers and the profiteers declaring that you have made my father's house into a den of thieves. On the next day, the third day, Jesus came back into that same temple. But this time, he came in as a teacher and he taught all of those who would listen and he used parables and and precious words of wisdom. and, And some received his word eagerly, but others did not, especially the scribes and the Pharisees. On that day, Jesus gave the parable of the wicked vine growers who killed the master's son. That was a parable that foretold of his own death. He also gave the parable of the talents, reminding us that we will be held accountable for all of the things that we do and all of the things that we don't do with the gifts and the talents that God has given to us in this life. Jesus also gave the parable of the widow's mite reminding us to be willing to surrender all that we are and all that we have to God. He also gave the parable of the ten virgins, warning us to always be ready for his return. And he also gave the parable of the great wedding feast of the sun, the one that tells about how the first guests who were invited would not come. And then how the master of the feast sent out to the highways and the byways and he invited all who would come. And folks, that's a significant invitation because those first who were invited were the Jews and they did not respond to Jesus. So he sent out into the highways and byways to invite us, the Gentiles. And we are very glad for that. On that same day, and I want to remind you, all of this week I was pondering each of these things as what would Jesus have been doing on this day? So again, on this day, this is when he gave this greatest of all commandments. He said in Matthew 22, 37, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the and second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. And it was sometime during that day that Jesus also spoke at length about the end times that would come to us. And maybe during our lifetime. During that time when men and women, children, will suffer an awful tribulation. And he also gave the warning of that great judgment day that will take place when you and I breathe our last here on this earth and we stand before Him. All men and women will do that. Hebrews chapter 9 says, there is appointed a time for you and me to die. And then the judgment. Jesus spoke about it. And it's a very frightening day to many for them to think about. But it's also a glorious day for others, those of us who have received Christ as our Savior. We don't ponder and fear death if we know the next moment that we open our eyes that we will be with Him in heaven. And He'll say, come in, my good and faithful servant. But it was on that same day that the religious leaders were showing their ilk They began to conspire and and determine ways that they might kill Jesus. On the next day, on Wednesday, Jesus began His plans for His Last Supper. Sending some of them in to make arrangements in the city in that upper room. And it was also on that day that Judas began his betrayal of the Lord Jesus, and, and he began to talk to the religious leaders about how they might take him captive. Many have questioned Judas's motives and intents. Did he realize that the Jewish leaders wanted to kill Jesus? Would he have done what he did had he known their real intentions? Because you'll recall, in just a few days, he would grieve and he would go out and kill himself. All those are questions from the human side. And they have some validity. But when taken in the context of God's design for the redemption of men's souls, we can also see God's overarching hand over all that took place with Judas, with the religious leaders, later on with the soldiers, and with Pilate. Folks, I want to remind us that those things could not have taken place by accident. It was all part of God's plan. As difficult as that might sound to us, this was all part of God's plan. But then for the time being, and Jesus knowing all of that, for the time being, He went on about His plans, beginning with the next day's events there in the upper room. On that last day before He was betrayed and then He was taken uh, before the chief priests, he went on about giving these final teachings and instructions and and loving wisdom to his chosen uh, few disciples. He told them much about how they should live their lives with great love for one another. He said, I want to call you to one step higher in your love. A step higher than... Love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to love each other as I have loved you. That's a much greater love. And he says, by the love that you show for one another, that will show to others that you are my disciples. So he told them all about love. He told them all about who he really was. He reminded them again. He had said it over and over again, but they still were not able to to get the concept of who He was. But He told them there again that He was the Son of God. He and the Father, the Father in Him. And that He was the vine and those who would receive Him would be the branches. And that God the Father was the great vine dresser, carefully pruning each branch. He also told them that He is the way, the only way to eternal life. And that He is the truth, the only real truth that exists among men. That He is the life. He is life itself. And there is no other life outside of Him. No other life outside of Him. They then ate what would be His last supper with them. And it was during that meal that Jesus arose and He took a towel And he took a basin and he showed true humility as he knelt and washed the feet of each of his disciples. In washing their feet, he demonstrated the words that he had given to them earlier in Matthew 11, where he said, come to me. Come to me all who are labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Folks, those words, gentle and lowly of heart, are words of true humility. Not just the kind of humility that esteems others better than yourself, but also a depth of humility that is willing to suffer and suffer humiliation so that others might be blessed. Blessed. Praise be to God for his humility. It was also during that meal that Judas began his final steps of his wretched betrayal. Satan entered into his soul and he went out and he set into motion this deadly conspiracy with the Jewish leaders. And here also at this meal we can see Satan, how he really knows how to work a crowd to make them, to try to at least, convince them to do his bidding. Here Satan had Peter trying to talk the Lord Jesus out of being crucified. And he also had some of the other disciples arguing amongst themselves. But here also, and I love to remind us of this, we see how easily Jesus dispatched Satan with just a flick of his tongue saying, get thee behind me, Satan. Satan truly is crafty, but none of his wiles, none of his cleverness, none of his power could ever deter God's plans. Our God is too powerful. After the meal, Jesus gave this high priestly prayer for his disciples and for us. And then he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. There he went to talk with his father, with his dad, before he was crucified. And it was while he was there that he agonized for long hours, crying out to his father, Let this cup pass from me, Father. Folks, listen. This was no small matter. It was not so much the physical suffering and death that Jesus agonized about but rather it was that he who knew no sin was about to become sin for you and me. The pure and holy God of all creation was about to become the most wretched sinfulness in order that you and I might be redeemed. His agony was so great that his earthly body was not able to withstand the suffering. And you'll recall that he began to sweat great drops of blood. But as we're told in Hebrews 12, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew that he would need to stand up to the suffering that was going to take place. The prize, the prize, our redemption was far too important. And we are so thankful that he did. His final words on the matter were, Not my will, Father, but thine be done. It was then just shortly thereafter that Judas came with the soldiers... And then Jesus' misery really began. Over the next several hours, late Thursday, on into Friday morning, he'd be dragged before the courts of men. He'd be humiliated. He'd be slapped in the face. He would be accused before Pilate. He'd be brutally beaten by the Roman soldiers, beaten almost to death. And then he would be sentenced to die on the cross. As all these things were taking place, many men and women, just as it is today, many men and women were being given opportunity to make their free will choices as to how they would respond to him. As we said a moment ago, Satan really does know how to work a crowd. We're able to see the vilest of mistreatment being put on Jesus by those religious leaders, by Pilate, by the soldiers, by the great crowds that had once cried, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now they're calling for his crucifixion. And even Jesus' own disciples ran away in fear. Peter denying that he even knew the Lord Jesus. And even Pilate, sensing in his own soul that crucifying Jesus was not right, And even being warned by his wife not to do this, he still ultimately took the easy way out and he passed that sentence of death that the Jewish leaders demanded. And so then we arrive at the final moments of his life as he hung there on the cross. A thief on either side of him. Recall too that he was ministering to them ministering to the people in front of him, his mother, others. And then he said his last words and he died. He died. Now what took place over the remainder of that day, that would be sometime after, perhaps late afternoon, what took place the remainder of that day and over the next three days, We know a little bit about, but for the most part, we can only imagine because the scriptures, the scriptures mostly remain silent about those events. We know that he was taken down from the cross by two men, Joseph of Arimathea, and then this recent convert, Nicodemus. That blesses me so much when I read about Nicodemus because you'll recall Nicodemus was a leader that came to Jesus by night. But now we find him declaring that he now believes in the Lord Jesus. And so these two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they took Jesus down from the cross and they placed him in a tomb that was owned by Joseph of Arimathea. And then later on a stone was rolled in front of it and guards were put in front of that stone. Now, exactly what took place while he was buried, we can't know much. As I said, the Scriptures are silent about it. But this we can know for sure. This we can know for sure. That he was going about doing whatever it would take to redeem the souls of men. It was probably then that he suffered the punishment that I myself deserved to suffer in hell. The penalty that I should have paid. Because it was me. It was me who did all those wrong things, those sinful things. My lying, my stealing, my immorality, my corruption. It was me. Not him. But it was him who chose to suffer and die that I might have life. if you have him as your savior that was when he was suffering for you did you think about that yesterday during your day saturday is often a day that we do other things we cut the grass jesus was suffering and dying suffering rather the punishment for my sin Now thankfully, thankfully his journey did not end there in the grave. He had one more step to take, one last eternal accomplishment before everything that he came to do was truly completed. He needed to be resurrected from the death that he had suffered. And that was what took place on this last day of his week today, this morning. Praise be to God, Jesus was eternally resurrected to new life. Death was defeated and eternal life was won for all who would receive him as Savior and Lord. And that brings us back to our scripture text for today, Ephesians 3.7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of his power. Now, within the scriptures that I have been recalling for us this morning, we have restated what the words of 1 Corinthians 15 calls the gospel. Listen to these words, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Now, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I have preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Remember, it's the power of God unto salvation, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, else you believed in vain. You can't give up on it. You have to hang on to it. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, and listen to this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Dear friends, this is the gospel in its simplest form. Jesus died for our sins, for your sins. He was buried for your sins. He was, uh, And on the third day, He was raised again from the dead. How was all that accomplished? Especially the raising of Jesus back from death unto life. It was, once again, by the amazing, miraculous, mighty working power of God's Spirit the salvation that was brought to you and me by the resurrection of Christ on this morning of His life. It was made possible by the mighty working power of God's Holy Spirit. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. You, however, you and me, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if we have received Christ if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not, listen, this is a warning, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. listen to these words in verse 11 of, of Romans 8. If the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This, folks, this is the mighty working power of the Holy Spirit as He ministers this gospel, this, this death, this burial, this resurrection of Christ. As he ministers this gospel to those who receive him as savior and lord. And so my question for you, my question for you today is, has this gospel, this death, this burial, this resurrection taken place in your personal life? Has it truly taken place? Because it must, else you will never see the kingdom of God, not on this earth, and not in heaven to come. May I say that again? This resurrection, this death, this burial, this resurrection must be taken place in your life, else you will never see the kingdom of God. The mighty working power of God's Spirit is available to you and me to work this in us. Verse 11 again of Romans 8. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, to my mortal body, through His Spirit who dwells in us. This is the last step. This is the last step that Jesus took on this day in the last week of His earthly life. To provide a resurrection power for you and me. And He invites you and me to join with Him in His resurrection. Do you want to do that? I'll close with the greatest invitation ever given. And it's the one that I read a moment ago from Matthew chapter 11. And it is Jesus' own personal invitation to you and to me. He says, Come to Me. Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray.